thanks a lot, uh, Warren, and uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, I think that was a good introduction, I think, for what we're trying to achieve with, with our specific paper. I think for those of you that were here two years ago, um, we did a paper, as Twane mentioned, just having a look at a framework in which you can evaluate uh, post-retirement strategies. Essentially, it's a goals-based approach looking at uh, legacy as well as uh, lifetime spending needs or income. <clears throat> and I think at the time, we came to uh, some conclusions. And in the audience, I think we, we had quite a few questions around, uh, have we done some analysis around deferred annuities versus immediate annuities? So I think at the time, we didn't, you'll remember, we you know, had hundreds of hours of modeling and broken computers and those kinds of things. Um, so we didn't have the time. So what we did is we did a follow-up um, specifically looking at deferred annuitization. And I think some of the results are surprising, but I think if you dig a bit deeper, you actually realize it's, okay, it's pretty much self-explanatory. And I think the purpose of this was to do more, more, more in-depth so we can actually focus on what is an optimal strategy and that we can also focus innovation and development uh, in the industry for that. Um, I think before I started, I think a lot of you asked me if it's, if it's me. Yes, it is. I'm just 37 Ks lighter. That's part of another research project. Hopefully we'll do a, a paper on that uh, as well. So I think just to, to start off, the big question is why so many people are not, um, you know, have an adequate income at retirement. There's the statistic quoted of 6% of South Africans retiring comfortably. But does anybody actually know where that stat comes from? And that's because we don't, none of us know. I think there's a lot of uh, speculation that it could be a marketing department uh, many years ago and they came up with a, a number. Um, but I think over the years there's been more credible surveys that have actually looked at, at it and it comes out at, at around about 1 in 10 depending on which information you look at and what definition you use for what is an adequate income. But I think on the whole we all know, you know, insufficient people uh, you know, retire comfortably, and that's just looking at the working population, never mind people that uh, are on the state old age pension, that are unemployed, etc. The big question <clears throat> is why? And part of it is, I think there's obviously the unemployed, so we're not going to deal with that. Part of it is that we've, we're seeing a massive change over the last few decades around how retirement uh, is, is, provision is being provided. Um, there's the shift from DB to DC. People had to make more decisions and I think we've now realized that people were in, not uh, adequately equipped to make those decisions. I think also the, the world of work. You've all heard uh, how the environment is changing. There's more, uh, uh, you know, we Everyone's talking about the gig economy, where you know you do have a, you just work for different employers, not one employer uh, for life. So what we are seeing is people changing jobs more often, but also the nature of jobs changing. Now these are all factors that I think the retirement system hasn't really catered for and empowering people and what what to do. Um, and also the shift to DC means there's more onus on the individual. And because we haven't equipped them with products and the way that we engage, that, those are big factors that have resulted in the 1 in 10 or 6%, whatever you, um, you know, want, want to have a look at. 
Thank goodness, though, we've got the National Treasury and many of you that are advising um, boards of trustees and funds. And yesterday we had uh, a talk about in-fund annuities versus out-of-fund. And I think we're on the right track to look at solutions and the way to engage to ultimately improve the outcomes for individuals. So many, many boards of trustees are now looking at putting in place default uh, annuity strategies. So the purpose of our research was to help inform that because in the engagement with a lot of clients, they're asking, well, what is the most appropriate strategy? Is it a living annuity? Is it a life annuity? Is it a combination? And in many cases, some are thinking about uh, deferred annuities where this sounds like a great idea. You know, you start off with a living and then we'll defer at a later stage. Also, we're seeing um, advisors giving advice like that to say there's a lot of flexibility. If you go into a living annuity, you can annuitize in 10 years' time. So don't worry, defer the decision itself uh, to that. Unfortunately, that's also leading to quite a lot of suboptimal outcomes. And for that reason, we thought, let's have a look at this problem um, and, and, and uh, you know, what, what it actually means. The other thing is that on the back of all those trends, I think we often in South Africa like to look at overseas for potential solutions. And um, deferred annuities have definitely been popularized uh, overseas. We, we're seeing in Australia um, deferred annuitization becoming more popular. In the US, in fact, they've actually introduced regulations um, to introduce qualified life annuity uh, contracts uh, with specific requirements where you, it's essentially a deferred annuity. <clears throat> so naturally, we would think that actually a lot of research has been done and therefore this must be a great solution for South Africa. The reality is that the, the circumstances in those countries are very different from what we have in South Africa. In many of the, those countries that I mentioned, there's a good uh, state scheme in place providing a base pension. Uh, often your private sector schemes are top-up arrangements and for that, yes, maybe uh, something like a deferred could be viable because you need more flexibility, some other things. In South Africa, the vast majority of your savings is for your, your total income, the safety net component plus the flexible component. So a solution here would be potentially quite different. We also then had a look at, um, <clears throat> there were different opinions about whether deferred is better than immediate. And you'd, uh, they're very conflicting messages and it actually depends on how you view the problem from a specific country point of view, what they've got in place and how they look at it. So what we decided is we did introduce this um, uh, framework in 2016. Let's use that to compare because I think that was quite a good way to look at what is optimal. And essentially, it's a, you know, a goals-based approach, and there are different factors that all come together to look at what, what is optimal. You have to look at an individual circumstance, gender, age, etc., and then you have to look at all the various asset classes and tools available as to what is optimal. And we put that all into a model to have a look at uh, and creating a retirement income frontier. And just like the old uh, Markowitz model, if you have you know, the greatest expected return for a given level of risk, what we're trying to do here is the greatest level of legacy for a given amount of sustainability and, and vice versa. What we did is we had a look at deferred annuities as a specific asset class and then had a look at what the results actually tell us. So to take us through the, uh, the modeling that we did on that, and we have four key insights that we'd like to share with you. 
I'm going to ask Stephen just to take you through uh, what those are. Thank you very much, John. Uh, as he uh, spoke, we, trying, uh, we were trying to keep it very consistent with a previous paper that we published in 2016. So we started out with uh, modeling a male 65-year-old, uh, which is single, and looking at the 6.44% drawdown rate, uh, which was consistent with the CISA average in 2015, as well as a 5% drawdown rate, which uh, is more or less a rule of thumb in the industry as a good drawdown rate post-retirement. The other stuff we considered is uh, con uh, the consumption patterns post-retirement, and we did uh, a little bit of research and to see what is the spending patterns in South Africa. Firstly, uh, I would like uh, you guys to go more into detail in the model we did um, by going through the paper. It, uh, I'm going to focus more on the outcomes that we found in the inclusion of the deferred and the immediate annuities. But uh, while running the models and, uh, and investigating uh, the results, we took into account the expected financial reserve upon death, which can be seen as a legacy potential to your heirs, and the uh, lifetime, spending, lifetime spending needs met, which is income sustainability. Now, these two metrics are the main trade-offs uh, that you have in post-retirement investment strategy. So you would like to, have, uh, to maximize your legacy potential for a given level of income sustainability. Now, the main uh, conclusion that we have uh, when running the model is when you include a deferred annuity or an immediate annuity, you automatically um, increase your uh, lifetime spending needs met and you expect a financial reserve upon death. Now, uh, this is achieved by securing your, uh, your income with the annuity while allocating uh, more aggressive assets in your living annuity balance. Now, uh, this, now the, the main outcome from our uh, findings was is the immediate, the immediate annuity is always more, or is more optimal than a deferred annuity uh, if no constraints is opposed. Now, the main reason for this is the sequence of return risk, which is present in a post-retirement investment strategy, where a larger, uh, where a larger reliance is placed on the balance of, of the investment strategy. For example, uh, you place half of your assets in the deferred annuity, and so much stress is placed in the uh, living annuity side that there's a larger chance of uh, depleting that capital uh, very quickly. Now, the other main insight is also that the mortality credits that you uh, get from, from the, uh, the immediate annuity is also spread on the earlier income, which also smooths the returns more, uh, better, and uh, you get the mortality credits over that first 10-year period, uh, period, where that is um, very important. So... The next thing is uh, only when certain constraints is imposed on the initial uh, income you want to annuitize, is there some scenarios where, you, uh, where it is optimal at maximizing your income sustainability by purchasing a deferred annuity. And we also found that it is more optimal to 
to purchase it to further duty to a 75-year uh, age rather than an 85-year age. Now, uh, this is also uh, found to be more optimal at a low drawdown rate where the pension is less funded. And uh, what we also found is it will also not be on the uh, income frontier because of all the constraints that's imposed. So the next thing is we uh, did some research on the consum consumption patterns, uh, and we started out, for example, in Australia, as you mentioned, as well. There's very conflicting uh, information on uh, is consumption patterns increasing, decreasing, and the amount of research that's done in South Africa is very limited. So, and this is very important when planning for post-retirement investment strategy is to look at consumption patterns. And that is a, a main uh, focus that we should actually investigate more on, is what is a consumption pattern. So uh, one, uh, one big thing is uh, that consumption needs would decrease uh, as the retiree gets older. And the other one is the, um, the consumption smile, where it first decreases and then increases late in life when uh, larger reliance is put on um, medical expenses, and that is the main contributor to inflation. So what we also found is even in an increasing uh, consumption framework that the immediate annuity is still superior to a deferred annuity due to the sequence of return risk that's still present in, uh, in post-retirement. Uh, I would like to hand over to John uh, for final thoughts. No, thanks, Stephen. And uh, I think... You know, what I'd like to do just in closing off, uh, and then we can obviously go to a more discussion phase of the whole uh, presentation. Then you'd ask, what does this actually mean for us, you know, in, in practice? The reality is that uh, annuitizing earlier is always better. That's very, I think it's maybe sounds self-explanatory, but I think given the conflicting research that's out there, hopefully we've shown within a very credible, sound framework, it is within the, that goals-based framework, annuitizing earlier is better. However, if you are um, one of the lucky South Africans that are very well funded for retirement and you have low, low drawdown rate and you, put a, you don't want to put too much in, uh, of your capital in, so, in something that's illiquid like a life annuity, etc., in those specific instances, a deferred annuity is better than an immediate. And the reason for that is the bang for buck that you get, given how it's calculated, um, it, it works out better. But in South Africa, we know that a very few people are actually in that category that can actually afford that. Most people have high drawdown rates, need to provide for all their uh, in income needs. And for the, for the vast majority of South Africans, annuitizing earlier is better. Annuitizing some is always better than none. That's also another key factor. And when you annuitize, um, also you can afford to take on more growth assets in your balance of your uh, strategy. <clears throat> the rationale for that is, for example, if you're doing an annuity now, more of your income is provided by an annuity, which means less is coming from your other asset classes, so you can invest them for growth. Very simple. That means in the current low environment, or yesterday we had like the market crash, uh, you can ride out all of those, but longer term, you should get 
greater returns uh, for that. And I think you know, that, that's another source of improving outcomes uh, for individuals. A very important outcome is many advisors still today say a benefit of a living annuity is that you can defer you know, your, your decision to annuitize. That's probably the most suboptimal. And the, rash, the reason for that is mathematically we've shown that deferred annuitization is not uh, superior. Annuitizing earlier is better. What's even worse than that is if you defer the decision. And the reason there is because as, as humans, we like to defer things, behavioral finance, you know, put it off. And uh, the issue is when we get there, we still defer and defer and we never actually do it. And I've seen it in practice where we've actually got things in place with, uh, it sounds great when, you know, we'll defer later. But in practice, people don't do that. So when you're faced with a decision at retirement, make the decision there and then. Even if it is to, def to purchase a deferred annuity, that's still better than nothing. But do not defer the decision. Um, or if you, and try as much as possible to regularly assess that um, over time. And then my closing uh, remark is I think we on this paper focused on the decumulation phase. So from retirement in, and there's probably less scope for deferred annuities there, as you can see, except for maybe the, um, you know, the, the, the very wealthy and well funded. That being said, we think that there is scope for before retirement, for when you start looking at a life stage strategy and you start um, going into a deferred uh, uh, annuity as an asset class. I think there's quite a bit of innovation that can take place in the industry to link before and after retirement strategies. Some of the reasons why it doesn't become optimal in the post-retirement are, are removed before. And I think that's probably where I would suggest that we take maybe some further research going forward and innovation in the industry. It did come up in yesterday's um, presentation in a different form where you're starting to use uh, smoothing arrangements before retirement and after. But if you take smoothing before and after and add onto it the longevity risk protection, I then think you have another lever to, to improve outcomes uh, even more. Well, thank you. Thank you, John, Stephen, and Warren. We now have a little bit of oh, probably it's about 20 minutes time for questions. So I can open up the floor for questions. There will be a roaming mic. There we go, on the left-hand side. Hi, my question's more for John and Stephen. Um, John, Stephen, the conclusion in the paper about deferring annuitization being uh, suboptimal makes sense in the two cases you sort of outlined the first one being where you've got sufficient capital to um, secure your full income with the annuity uh, at retirement. So I think the paper shows if you, annu uh, if you place 75% of your capital in the immediate annuity, uh, 100% of your income requirement is um, basically secured. Uh, and in the second instance where the annuity you purchase, the deferred annuity, is an inflation-linked one, but your consumption is at uh, inflation plus two. So although you don't have sufficient capital, the type of annuity isn't linked to your consumption pattern. Do you think you'll get different results in the instance where you don't have sufficient capital to secure your full um, 
income requirement uh, at retirement. So uh, a member or retiree who's got only enough capital to buy, say, 70% of their desired income in the annuity, if they were to defer annu uh, annuitization into an annuity which matches their consumption pattern, do you think maybe you'll get results where it may be then optimal to defer annuitization? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, what we found is that, um, you know, where you have insufficient uh, capital, um, annuitizing earlier is, is always better. Um, there is a crossover point, but as I mentioned, it's, it's pretty much, um, you know, only for the low drawdown rates and where you're well funded. Um, for most people, annuitizing more, so the less you have, the more important it is to annuitize even more. Um, the decision there is then what type of annuity you need to, to, uh, to have. But I think the kind of framework that we've got would suggest that the more of the earlier years of income that you can secure, the better. And the reason for that is uh, because we use a utility framework so that weights the, by, by, you know, each year. So in the early years, more weight will be given because a person's more likely to be alive. And I would, I would think that for the kind of profile of member that doesn't have insufficient, if you look at the mortality, will be even heavier. So you definitely want to have more income a lot sooner. Um, what we could do is um, you know, have a look at different types of annuities where the income actually is greater in the early years and lower later. And I think there is definitely merit in that, um, where for the lower income individuals, get more upfront and, and to reduce, that would probably show better, better results in that particular case. So in a nutshell, the earlier is better for lower um, savings and probably in, in the type of annuity that you secure, get more income earlier on because your utility for that is, is greater. Thank you, John. Any other question? There we go. Thanks for uh, some, some good research. It was interesting to see the conversation continuing. Um, a lot of this talks effectively to supply side, the money feeding in. Uh, did you, you mentioned utility there in that last answer, but have you looked at anything around the demand side? What is, how do people spend in retirement? Do they have the ability to manage their, their outgo down to 70% of what they hoped? Uh, and then, dare I say it, where does debt uh, feature for the average South African hitting retirement? Okay, I can start, but I can have a look at the rest of the, the panel as well. <clears throat> because I think the, there's definitely not sufficient research uh, around spending patterns and uh, of pensioners. So I think there is some research that was done by uh, Megan Butler with a follow-up a few years ago. That specifically looked at at retirement, when you retire, compared to before retirement. And I think that showed that people can't really afford to drop their, 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 their income needs. As Stephen mentioned earlier, there is some um, uh, research internationally suggesting that you get a, a retirement smile. I don't know why they call it a smile because it's probably not very funny if you, <laughs> you, you reduce your needs and then it goes up. But anyway, uh, the point is there is that kind of thinking. But when, the more we looked is that was one view. In Australia, the view was that only if you've got a lot of uh, as, uh, assets 
you can actually have lower, it makes sense, you know, lower uh, needs. There's more discretionary that you, you, you have over there. But then a colleague of mine, um, you know, sent me another research paper that suggests that in terms of human behavior, what it, if you give a person a budget, they'll figure a way to work within the budget. And I think that's also going to mess with the numbers because, um, you know, as long as a person, you don't cut into the basic needs, um, people will find ways, you know, to, to live within their means. So it's quite a hard one to answer, uh, to, be, to be quite honest. I think more, more work is done there. What we try to do is to say, well, look, let's try and model a few scenarios to say, if there is increasing needs, does it mean, and, and why we did it that way was because if the, in, the needs are increasing towards the later years in retirement, does that imply that deferred is better in that specific instance? And it wasn't. It was actually immediate is better. What we did find is that, and Stephen can correct me, but your, your needs in the last few years of retirement must increase by like 50, 60, 70, 80% before a deferred annuity becomes even viable in this, this framework, which is unlikely. But I think in the, yeah, unfortunately on the debt side, I haven't seen enough on that. Um, but it, it is a bit of a strange concept that, you know, we're not seeing pensioners protest in the streets, you know, in, in terms of running out of money. Where are they getting it from? Well, I would say it suggests they're living within their means, given that human behavior, we try and find a way, family support and other, and I think they're changing their lifestyles to try and suit that, which is hiding a lot of what's actually happening in practice. Thanks, John. Warren, Stephen, do you have anything to add? Um, I'm trying to avoid discussions on utility functions. So D Dave, Dave, I'm sure can in investigate that himself. Thanks. <laughs> um, do we have any more questions? We have one in front and one in the middle. Yep. Are they? Uh, just regarding the desire to leave a legacy, a lot of emphasis on that, and be one of the main reasons for buying a living annuity. Just, is there any understanding of how much of that is the, is the desire to leave a legacy as compared to not wanting the insurance company to get your money when you, when you die if you purchase a guaranteed annuity? And then the other question I had, I just had a, just to clarify the, t the difference in strategy between buying a deferred annuity at retirement and then, but then deferring the purchase of an annuity to a later age. Uh, are those two strategies different in terms of the expected outcomes? If you don't mind just repeating that last one, so it's just for... So my understanding of purchasing a deferred annuity is at retirement you buy a deferred annuity, well, okay, some to living in a deferred, and then alternatively putting all the money in a living annuity and then at a later stage so the first question is basically on trust in the industry. Um, Stephen or Warren, do you want to go at that? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if it was aimed at, at, at my work or at John's work, the first question there, Ken. But the, um, look, I, I do think, so I, I think that we tend to potentially underplay some of the behavioral things that um, David touched on yesterday and, and you mentioning now about the, the not giving the money to an insurance company. I think there's a little bit of a black box thing there, though, because people, I don't think people actually understand what's happening with that money. It's actually subsidizing 
the, so this concept of a mortality credit that's come up a few times in papers, um, the benefits for the people that are surviving, to, I mean, that's the kind of insurance premium for the, for the people that are around longer. And uh, so the intention behind my paper specifically was to look at, well, it wasn't specifically, but a an intention was to consider benefit designs that didn't end up giving everything away to the, um, to the insurance company up front so that you could actually start profiling actually, what, what is it that I, that I want and need in, in retirement? Because if, if I think that I don't want to give the money away, then, then maybe I can consider something else that gets some of that money back to me. That, that, was, that was my... I think if, um, if I can add to that, I mean, just on the, the, the legacy side, so I think there is this view and I think it's, in my view, yeah, it's, well, we've shown in the previous paper that it's actually a myth, this whole thing about if you're in a living annuity, that's the best way to provide a legacy. That's actually incorrect. Because what is a legacy? So if you, if you, if you say in the first year, okay, maybe. But in most people, if you had to look, you have to look at for each and every year. And what we try and do is we look at what you would have left every year. And then where you run out, you'd have to find the money somewhere else from dependents, and then you wait that over a lifetime. So if you, you need to have a look at a lifetime measure of legacy. If you do that, we've actually shown in the previous uh, paper that having a portion annuitized is better from a legacy point of view, and the reason is it protects at the, the advanced ages for those big negatives where you run out of money and you're, 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 you're reliant on your dependents. So there is actually a, an uplift in legacy value if you annuitize, okay? And it's uh, and it up to a point, and then after that it decreases. So that's quite an important, um, and I think that's, uh, for example, a myth that I think the industry has perpetuated through advice, et cetera, and oversimplifying things, and I hopefully, you know, we've given a bit more credibility to what advice should be. Just on the deferred uh, side, so what we did is when we did the analysis, we looked at an actual deferred annuity at retirement. So what that means is I'm 65 and I buy an annuity at that point where it starts paying from age 75, 76, 77, 78. The analysis that Stephen showed was for that. And it shows that immediate annuitization is more optimal with no constraints. And then we talked about where there is a, there is a constraint. By implication... If you defer the decision to annuitize, it's also, uh, the problem is that we would expect the results of that to be even worse. And the reason is because you're deferring, you don't actually get the benefit of those 10 years worth of mortality credits. Um, and then from a behavioral point of view, chances are by deferring the decision, the chances of the person actually annuitizing is much lower, whereas at retirement, they're forced with a decision and they can make it. So that's why we're saying that that would, Although we didn't analyze it like that, it'll, we expect it to be even worse in, in our framework. Uh, th thanks very much. Just a closing remark, <coughs> remark Warren. Um, just, you know, my experience is I think a lot of people don't understand exactly what's going on with a guaranteed annuity. And they do, there is a belief that the insurance company gets the money that's left over. And maybe we should spend more effort making sure people do understand what is going on. 
So I've got a different view on that. I mean, I actually think that we can design better solutions for, for Persia. I mean, at the moment, so I, I deliberately didn't go down the road of trying to say, is a guaranteed annuity, you know, is this type of annuity, the different types, so with profit, inflation guaranteed, or, I mean, mine was just a purely theoretical construct to compare the relative value in, in, in two cases. So I definitely think that we can be, be doing more, um, from a, from a designing solutions perspective. To, to try and address some of these concerns. And just on John's point that he was making, that he ended off with there, I mean, in, if you think about anything that this, this concept of a mortality credit, let's say 2% of people are going to die um, between age 65 and 66, and let's assume it's a straight line thing, that's a 2% additional return that you have to earn on your, on your living annuity to justify deferring the decision to actually purchase an annuity. So, so the whole concept of mortality credits, I think, is a powerful um, construct in the post-retirement space, which, which means any decision that, that defers annuitization, when I say defers annuitization, defers the actual purchasing of the annuity is going to be, in my humble opinion, is suboptimal. Thank you, Warren. We have a question up front. Thanks, guys. Uh, my first question was actually going to refer to the same thing, deferring an immediate annuity or... or uh, or buying an immediate deferred annuity. Uh, for me, you guys, when you refer to the, the, the mortality credit, I'm kind of struggling because you are not also looking at the loss of, uh, of liquidity. Uh, that could be an argument on the other side uh, because if I pay, purchased an immediate deferred annuity, I've lost my liquidity. And if I died, I've lost the whole thing. And uh, if I'm understanding you right. And, uh, but my second question was also something I'm struggling with uh, is, uh, is, is to do with, uh, with, with uh, I'm losing my, 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 my line of thinking now. Okay, you answer me on the first one while I'm thinking what I, what I wanted to say on the <laughs> second one. I can get back to you. Okay, so... <clears throat> There are two aspects to, you know, the, um, the loss of liquidity. So if you, so the way we looked at it is you've got your total assets and then you invest a portion in a, an annuity that you buy now, but it's deferred. What that means is from day one, the income that needs to be provided must be provided on the the, the balance of the, the, the assets. So because that is liquid and it's not providing an income in the first 10 years, you're putting more strain on the balance of the assets. So we've taken that aspect into account in terms of the sequence of returns, risk, and the asset allocation. Um, and that is partially why deferring is, is, is less optimal within the, the thing. But you're absolutely right. I think once you are in it, it is... Um, it is illiquid, uh, and they, practically you need to deal with that. You know, if a person dies earlier, uh, they're not going to get that. Uh, but, but that's what takes me back to you looking at a specific point in time. Our framework looks at a lifetime. If you look at a lifetime, and you look at um, the the legacy value that Stephen mentioned, um, which is the expected financial reserve at death, that is a lifetime measure of liquidity. And uh, there we've taken the liquidity specifically into account, and annuitization is better, um, you know, even in, in, in that instance, the initial part. So yes, you might lose that you can't trade it or you can't 
cash it in, but over a lifetime it is much better because of what it does in your entire overall strategy. But practically, I think there is a perception that, you know, I've got this asset and it's illiquid, um, but I think the, the lifetime benefit of it far outweighs, you know, the, 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 the challenges that you have at that particular point in time. Thanks on that. And my second point was to do with, uh, forget the deferred one now, the immediate annuity at retirement age. Uh, given you saying is the best option for someone who doesn't have enough assets, but I'm also saying someone who doesn't have enough assets rather let work longer and purchase later. So it's no point buying my annuity now for a tiny amount that's not going to do anything. No, no, I think, yeah, you're right, I, absolutely. So I think what we're saying is once you've made the decision to retire, then immediately, but before you get to that decision, you do. Should I retire now? Should I continue working? And absolutely, we would recommend uh, people working as long as possible because extra, every extra year that you can work, uh, the cost of securing becomes less, you earn more. Um, Absolutely. I think our framework was merely once you've decided I've, I've, I'm going to retire, then at that point. But you, there are various other levers in addition to costs um, and a, a whole range of other things that you can look at, which we don't cover in this paper. Thank you, John. I think also it's important to remember that guaranteed annuities has some options in terms of a death benefit, if you want to call it that way, in terms of guaranteed periods and spouse reversion. Um, but I think we've got time for maybe one more question. Is, let, let me just see, is there more questions? We've got one on the left-hand side. Okay, we, we'll take these two and then we close off. Thank you. Yeah, on the left. I think it's you, David. Oh, okay. Okay, I'll, go I'll make a few comments and do <laughs> something for John. Uh, the first is the 6% people who can retire comfortably I'm pretty sure people have told me in their 70s or 80s now that was around when they entered the industry, so I'm sure it's from the defined benefit world, so I, we shouldn't leave the impression sometimes that defined benefit was better. I think that had many disadvantages and, in fact, was an unfair system. Uh, the second point is that I find it interesting that all three uh, papers, presentations at this convention this year are on the annuity, in the retirement fund space, are on the annuity uh, puzzle which uh, I think is, is interesting to note, and I think David McCarthy actually deserves a lot of credit at National Treasury for starting that discussion, because I think without the Treasury papers, I doubt we would have got, got to this uh, point. The third is that, Warren, I really like your way of uh, separating the death and the uh, uh, income components, and I think there, there are a lot of legs there, possibly, for making simple decisions with financial uh, planners. Uh, or, or developing tools in that regard for the conversations. Uh, the fourth maybe is with the gentleman in the front that uh, the idea to um, work longer obviously must be more efficient than all of these. And maybe the fifth one, which I'll, I'll put to John, is, um, I mean, I think what you conclude from an actuarial or numbers point of view it is more efficient uh, to annuitize early, earlier. And I think in our presentation yesterday, Danny, basically we came to the same conclusion. If you look at the returns one has to earn in living annuity to break even, it doesn't seem realistic that one will be able to. But I think the other side of the coin, if we're talking to the default regulations, is 
you, you kind of are making the assumption that you will be able to convince people when they retire to take up that, that uh, advice. And I question whether that will turn out to be the reality. So therefore, what I will say, what will be very interesting with the default regulations is what happens after the default regulations when we start monitoring take-up rates of the various strategies. So I would say to the regulators and Treasury, that's very important is to start measuring these things and let's see where we are in two, two years' time. But I suspect that take-up rates for funds that go the earlier neutralization will be very low. Thank you. Lots of very insightful comments. Do you want to respond? Nothing? I think it's just, and I think, uh, yeah, I fully agree with you. So I think, uh, you know, um, well done to Treasury. And I think I definitely agree because, you know, for years we've actually been talking to funds to look at members when they exit, you know, when they uh, resign or retire. But because it wasn't uh, regulations, nobody actually paid attention. Now they are, and I think that's going to add at some uh, value. Just in terms of the, the decision, and I think it touches on what we talked about yesterday, the provision of that retirement benefits counselling, and I think the you know how that's done is going to be absolutely critical, influencing what decisions are actually made. And I think that to me, so having the solution is one thing, but then the framework and how people are given advice is going to drive that. And I think that is where we need to actually focus on. Um, and hopefully, a lot of the work here. Um, allows advisors and retirement benefits counselors to take that to give better, more optimal advice. If they do that, because they have significant power in steering people into, in, in, into that. I think if people, I agree with you, if people make their own decision, it's going to be difficult, but when they're faced with a person or a, a counselor who gives, at that point, I think you can actually shift things, and that's how we're going to, in my mind, and I'm very optimistic, uh, how we can actually change it. Thank you. Take the last question. I think it's probably more, than a, more of a comment than a question. Um, thanks for the papers. I think they've all been really, really good. And it follows on to what's just been mentioned, is about the fact that this message that's coming out is around really emphasizing that life annuities are the right way of going. And as mentioned, the most influential people in the lives of the people coming to retirement are the advisors. And I suppose as an industry, we're all sitting in this room, and I probably find that very few of us are the ones that are sitting in front of the individual members. We're the ones developing the products and advising the retirement funds, but not necessarily there at the member. So probably what are we doing and what do we need to be doing to get this message out to the financial advisors that says really good advice is going this route? And I think that's going to be a critical point because unless we can change mindsets um, from the advisor's perspective that living in life, you know, living annuities, even deferred living annuity and change, making a decision later, which is often what gets sold, is not the right decision or is not good advice to people. So this sort of study, I think, can clearly theoretically demonstrate that, but it's really about getting the message sinking into the individual financial advisors. Thank, thank you. I think that's ending it on a high note and a challenge to everyone. I agree. I think this is game-changing work by John, Warren and Stephen. And we're all working towards a common goal of providing a better and a just retirement for everyone. Thank you for joining.